Hey, this is David Perkins, pastor of Radiant Church. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. I hope and I pray that the content helps you grow as a follower of Jesus. We'd love to see you at one of our services on Sundays or maybe at our Bold Conference this summer. Remember this, those who look to Him are radiant. All right. Well, it's great to see everybody today. Welcome back. I hope you had a great week after a great Easter. So great. Celebrate the resurrection with you last week. Love that. Uh, We're beginning a new series today, and it's called Breakthrough. And the idea of this series is that we want to talk about some of the hard topics, some of the things that are a little bit challenging um, that we struggle with. And we sang this song, which was a great song, a brand new song. And so all of us were learning it. I was learning it today. That song about you stepped into my Egypt. And the idea is, is that uh, all of us know that we say yes to Jesus, but then we still have uh, a process of, of breakthrough, of overcoming, of, of becoming more like Jesus. And sometimes there are things in our lives where we're disappointed that this is still there and that we thought this would go away by now. And sometimes it's easy to make excuses for it and then 20 years realize that area is still uh, defeating me, hurting me. And, and, and we want to be really intentional to say, all right, let's, let's, let's talk about these areas where we need areas of breakthrough. And so uh, today I want to talk about the area of discouragement, or you could say uh, sadness. There's so many people over the years, for me, I've spent about 20 a little over 20 years, uh, praying for people at the front of church on Sundays. And so um, I don't know how many, probably thousands of times, I've prayed with people at the front, and I'm amazed by the high percentage of people that are just weary, discouraged, sad. Depressed would be a strong word, but oftentimes depressed. And so I think this is an area of our lives that we want to need to work on and that we can talk about. There's a, and there's a great story in 1 Kings 19. If you have your Bibles, it's where we're going to go today. And so uh, we finished up the series on heroes. And this is actually one of the heroes of the faith, Elijah. Uh, but we're going to look at a journey that he goes into where he becomes discouraged. And then an angel appears to him and he goes out of this season of discouragement. So I want us to go there. That's where we're going to aim at today. And then over the next few weeks, we'll take time in this breakthrough series to talk about areas or topics that we struggle with. And we'll try to say, all right, we are free. We're out of Egypt and we want to get all of Egypt out of us. Amen. All right. So all of you that... uh, studied the Bible when you were t- 10, you understood what I just said, all right? The rest of you are like, I've never been to Egypt. What's he talking about? So uh, that's all right. Um, <laughs> I didn't, you're like, I didn't like that song. Egypt? Anyway, we'll explain. All right. <laughs> Father, we love you. And God, we ask, Lord, that you would help us as we look at the life of Elijah today, Lord, to really break free, to, to have a, a moment, Lord Jesus, even an encounter even a a process, a journey of stepping out of some of the things that keep us weary and held down and discouraged. God, we honor you and we love you. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Uh, When my family lived in Colorado, one of the things we loved to do was, not all of us, just Dawson and I, is we would go uh, to the incline, which is just a trail up Pikes Peak. And so uh, I would go with Dawson. It was a little embarrassing because my kid could run up it faster than me. And that's always hard because I thought it would be, hey, you know, a sermon illustration where I waited for my boy, loved him, took him to all the way to the top. But in reality, it was old dad huffing and puffing and little boy runs up and come on, dad, and it's flipping. 
flipped. But anyway, and so the thing that is great about the incline is that you just steady. Go up, go up, go up, go up, go up, go up. It gets better, 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 better. And then you finally reach the top and you look out and you look and you can look at all of Colorado Springs and you can just see it's a beautiful sight and you just steady, 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 go all the way up to the top. And it's awesome. It's amazing. And I think most of us want that in our spiritual lives. You say yes to Jesus at 20 or 10 or 40. And it's this hope that, hey, it's just going to get better, 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 better. Incline, 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 incline. And boom, I'll be 75, 80, 85, 90 years old. And I will have summited, looked back and had this journey where it got better, 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 better. Just like a crescendo. My love for God got louder, louder, louder. Everything got better, better, better. But in reality, I think when we look at some of the heroes of the faith, and as we did that study on the heroes of the faith, I was amazed by how many of them went through hard seasons, difficult seasons. I'm going to even say seasons where they got really sad, a little bit challenged valleys. I love the new song, Hills and Valleys by Taryn Wells, that communicates that we've got moments that, that are hills, we've got some moments that are valleys. And I want to talk today about that season that's more like a valley, that season where you look at David or Moses, you, you look at the, the heroes of the faith and they've got moments where it's not a straight up incline, where everything may be going well and then there's a hard season. And I think that we'll find encouragement in our own lives when we recognize that all of us go through discouraging seasons. And the question is, who will we be and what will we do when we go through that hard time? Because I have found that our lives look not so much like an incline in Colorado. It looks more like a roller coaster at Silver Dollar City. You know what I mean? Same ride with my boy Dawson up and down. And that's a little bit more of what our lives look like. And I want us to look at this life of Elijah because Elijah, he was one of God's great heroes, one of God's great men. In fact, when you look at his life, Elijah is someone that Jesus talked about. I mean, Elijah was someone, even Moses and Elijah showed up, hang out with Jesus, Mount of Transfiguration, and it's this moment where Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets, hanging out with Jesus. I mean, when we look back at the Old Testament narratives, Elijah is perceived, known as one of the greats. And yet... When we look at Elijah's life, he had a moment that I want to talk about today of significant sadness or discouragement, maybe even depression. And the thing that I find so intriguing is the way that God treated Elijah in the moment where he was struggling. Because where we're going to go is to look at not a God that was rebuking him, but a God that was restoring him. And I hope that today you can find strength on how God works with you in what might be a valley. What might not be incline, incline, incline. It might be like Silver Dollar City, like, wow, I'm in a low moment. I'm in a challenging season. And when we look at Elijah, Elijah, 1 Kings 17 shows up on the scene and he's a prophet of God and he walks in supernatural miracles. Elijah's the one that, he looks at King Ahab and says, it's not going to rain, and it doesn't rain. And, and then he looks at this lady who's hungry, and he provides food for her, and her jars are filled with oil. And then he is the one that lays down and prays for this boy, and he comes back to life. And it's pretty amazing stories, pretty supernatural experiences, ones that if you were experiencing, you'd be like, yeah, I'm having a good day. 
right? And then 1 Kings 18 is the famous story of the showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And Elijah says, hey, we'll have a sacrifice. You sacrifice a bull, I'll sacrifice a bull. We'll not put fire on it. The God who answers by fire, he is God. And so it's an amazing story, great some sermon that we do in the hero series where we could take that whole text and break down how God answers by fire. And it's an incredible story where all of a sudden, boom, Yahweh, fire under the bull. All of a sudden they go, oh, you're, yeah, Yahweh is God. And Elijah's like, what's up now? Because he was talking trash and he was like, where's your God? Is he taking a nap? And he had all, all that kind of hype fest. And then boom, God showed up and you would think he is higher than a kite. Like he is up at the top. And honestly, most of the time when we hear about Elijah, those are the stories that we hear. Right? Like for me, my childhood, flannel graph, learning about Elijah in the 80s, in the basement, in the church, misty smell, and the nice, sweet old lady in the dress down to her ankles, gray hair, talking to me about Elijah. We never got to 1 Kings 19. We just got 1 Kings 18. Hey, you guys too can call down fire. God can do anything. And I left seven years old. Yeah, fire, power, let's go. Right? My kids, veggie tails, it's just cucumbers and tomatoes. Hey, you too can call down fire from heaven. Hey, you can walk in supernatural. You can walk in miracles. And I love that. And that's a sermon for another day. Ended at 1 Kings 18. Talk about Elijah, man of God. But I'm intrigued by 1 Kings 19 today because 1 Kings 19 is the moment after the man of God has the great encounter. The man of God suddenly goes into this season, this challenging moments where we read about him being discouraged. And a lot of times it's after your highest moment. It's after that moment where things have gone well. You've, I mean, you've seen God do great things that you, all of a sudden you can go through the valley and you have the hill and you have the valley. You go top, 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 and then you can go down. And I think for us, even as a church, not just for you as individuals, but even as a church, I think last week for us was a hill. It was like amazing. And for me personally, I was like thanking God. It's easy then if we're not careful to then just kind of go into this season of our eyes off of God and get depressed and get sad. And it's just, it's a part of, it's a part of the way our journeys work. And I want us today to just get our eyes and stay encouraged, focus on Jesus Make sure our hearts stay clean. Get our eyes on God. One of the funniest moments for me in learning this, we had a high moment for me in 2006. Uh, we had, we had, we had 7,000 teenagers show up for the, the Desperation Conference that Renata and I had dreamed about and put on. And it, was, it was awesome. We saw kids giving their lives to Christ like crazy. And it, we had, it, was, it, was, an, it was a powerful event. And, and my buddy, John Egan, who has led worship here and, and preached here, uh, his dad invited he and I and some of our friends who had helped put it on the worship band <clears throat> to come over to his house the day after the conference for a barbecue. And we're, we're all sitting around and we're, we start talking like about the conference and we start talking about slowly about some of the things that went wrong. And before you know it, we're kind of bickering a little bit and we're kind of, then all of a sudden we're talking about things that could have gone better. And then we're pointing at each other on who did things wrong. And we're talking about some of the guests and how they weren't quite, you know, our style. And, and before you know it, we're sitting in Jack Egan, John Egan's dad's house the day after this amazing event where so many kids worshiped like never before. And we're kind of in, 
a downward spiral. And all of a sudden, Jack Egan, John's dad, from, he's from Jersey, and he steps up and he says, yo, boys, I don't want to hear any more of this. <laughs> and we were like, what? And I was 29, but I felt nine at the moment. And, he's, and he says, what we just experienced was a move of God. It was God working in my house. Y'all don't get to talk this way because this is the Lord, you know? And all of a sudden, we were like, yeah, bam, 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 bam. Yeah, what are you talking about, you know? And what's wrong with you, you know? And I just, for, I mean, forever I was in, I, I gained a new spiritual father that day. I just love Jack Egan. He's in, he's got a house in New Jersey and church there. And sometimes I'll preach there and go hang out with him and, and his family. And the last time I was there in, in 2017, uh, <laughs> I, I finished and talking and he was on the front row and he was like, yo, David, you're the best. And I was like, man, I love you so much, you know. And, and I was like, thanks, I'm glad that you were encouraged. And he said, I didn't say I was encouraged. I said, you're the best. <laughs> I'm just telling you, some of you, you need a Jack Egan in your life. You know, you need some, some of you need to become a Jack Egan where you're 61 years old and you're speaking some life into some 29-year-old punk kids that are talking about the problems rather than talking about what God is doing and and we had just come off this big high, and then we went into a low, low. And Elijah, he's come off this big high. We as a church, I think, we're coming off a big moment. And I want us in this moment, in this series, to keep our eyes on Jesus and get our eyes like, God, what are you doing? And not get to this place where our eyes are on me, but our eyes are on him. Where our eyes are on self, but our eyes are on God. We want to fix our eyes on him. And I want us to walk in great encouragement. When you look at Elijah, here's his story. First Kings 19, we're going to go through this text. Uh, because Elijah is God's man. He's God's prophet. And then he goes into this dark day, dark season. Let's read it together. Now Ahab, Ahab is a king, wicked king, and he has a wicked wife. Her name's Jezebel. You don't even have to go to church very long and you've heard the name Jezebel before, right? Now Ahab and Jezebel, I don't know if that's true, uh, Every, now, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. So that was the big moment at Mount Carmel and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of them. And Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. Here's the first step. Here's Elijah. Possible response is like, who do you think you are? What are you talking about? I, I serve Yahweh. He just answered by fire. I, I serve the God that raises the dead. I, I'm not afraid of this lady. This lady can't take me out. What? And instead, the text communicates that Elijah was struck by fear. And so first step, I think, for us is we start to believe a little lie. We start to get a little afraid. Something gets in. I find it intriguing that he's not afraid of 450 prophets of Baal, but he's afraid of one lady, right? Right in this moment. That wasn't a, that didn't come off right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> just, let's just go to people. He wasn't afraid of 450 people, now he's afraid of one, right? <laughs> that could blow up in my face. It's the one, and a lot of times for us, it's that one moment, it's that one little thing where you could have some success in the Lord, it's God doing great things, and then one little lie gets in. You start to obsess over one little thing, and you're afraid. That job, that person, and a little stronghold, a little bit of fear starts to set in. And when I look at Elijah, he's, 
He, he could have easily had a stronger response, but instead his response is to run and to get in fear. Then look at this, it says this. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. So he leaves his servant, and now not only is he walking in fear, but now he's isolated. When it says a day's journey, most commentators say it's about, about 15 miles. So now he's been on this journey by himself, and so fear has got in, and now not just fear, but isolation. And this is what we often do on a journey to discouragement. First, maybe we believe a lie. First, maybe we, we get into fear, and then we get isolated. If you get isolated, you're on a probable chance to becoming discouraged. And it may not just be that you are like actually not around people, but you've just stopped being vulnerable with people. You can be around people and not be open and, and talking about your journey. But here he gets isolated. Elijah pulls away. I want to tell you one of the best things that you can do in remaining encouraged is remain around comrades, remain around people that encourage you, that help you on your journey with Jesus. I, I say this over and over again because I believe it so much. In fact, this spring semester in my small group, I started a small group that met Thursdays at noon and it was just a bunch of dudes. And honestly, I didn't know some of them when we started the small group. And about week eight, I found myself communicating vulnerably some things that on the drive home, I thought to myself, oh my goodness, did I just tell those guys that? Was I that open? And even a guy who I, I mean, he's only, this, is a, this group is the first time that I've ever, ever gotten to know him. And he was just spitting back truth. And I was saying, yeah, but I feel this. And he was saying, that's not right. And I was like, yeah, but, and I was telling him about, about a relationship, painful dynamic. And he was like, just spitting truth right into me. And I was realizing that even this guy that I'd really only known for about eight weeks, in the context of that small group, was helping me get my faulty thinking out and right thinking in. You need a friend like that. It's one of the things that we talk about here over and over again. And I think with Elijah, all right, I'm afraid I'm gonna go on the run. And then he's isolated, just by himself. And then look at this, look at this prayer. This is, this is, this is hard. Um, he not only gets isolated, but then he prays, I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. So here's what I see here. I see him, first off, fearful and afraid, running. So in your life, what would that look like for you? Believing a lie, allowing the enemy to bring accusation to where the Jezebel, the, 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 the attack, the person I'm going to get you. You said, instead of, instead of seeing how God sees, and I got the God who answers by fire with me and I'm not afraid, you, you, you step into some fear. I'm, my life could go wrong. I, this could go bad. And then he gets, then he gets isolated. This is what we do. We can easily get to this point. I'm on my own. I, I don't have comrades around me. Help me think straight. And then third, this is, this is an interesting point because he goes, well, I'm no better. And he compares himself to his ancestors. I'm no better than my ancestors. This, is, this comparison point is strange when you just read the text. 
It's, a, it's an interesting idea that he would go, I'm, I'm going to compare myself. And he's probably talking about, you know, hey, Baal worship is alive today is with my ancestors, and he is sad because things are turning out differently than he thought. And certainly he thought, hey, 1 Kings 18, God answered by fire. God, I mean, all of a sudden, we had the showdown. Surely things would change. Surely, surely even Jezebel would change. Surely this is historic. And instead, he finds the accusation, the attack, the threat of I'm coming after you. And he's, ah, it's just the same as with my ancestors. He's comparing himself to others. I see these three things as not all components, but some components in our own journey towards becoming sad, discouraged, depressed even. And Elijah finds himself in that dark place. Elijah finds himself in that moment. And I think that every week we have people that walk in to Radiant Church and they are isolated. They are filled with fear, some anxiety, alone, comparing themselves, scrolling constantly to friends, siblings, parents, coworkers. And in this moment, the angel of the Lord shows up. And the angel of the Lord does not kick Elijah, rebuke Elijah. He refreshes Elijah. He helps Elijah. And I love this because I think even in moments when you feel so down, depressed, discouraged, so good for you to see what does God do for the one who, I mean, is committed, is the prophet of God, but is having a hard day, is down on themselves. What, what's God's response? What's, how does the angel respond to this hero of the faith who's in the, in the moment not acting much like a hero? I mean, looking and saying, just take my life. I'm done. I'm out. And so if we look at it, the, the, one of the, the, this first part of 1 Kings 19, look at this. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some, ba- was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank. Strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into the cave and spent the night. So real simple here, but the angel of the Lord, there's a few things. The angel of the Lord gives him rest. Like it's interesting, get some more sleep. And this is the first moment where we ever find donuts validated in the scriptures, <laughs> which is why we give you cider donuts about once a quarter, because it's biblical. And <laughs> he just gives him some bread and some water and takes care of his physical needs. And I want to highlight this because I think this is a part of, of being healthy, is resting correctly. We live in a frenzied culture. The temptation is to step right in and join it is just jump in and in a perpetual treadmill of activities. And not everything that you can do, you should do. You've got so much available to you. And Renata and I had a book really impact our lives in 2008. On our vacation, we read a book called The Rest of God by Mark Buchanan. And it was, it's about Sabbath and rest and rhythms. 
And we started to build that into our life and our, into our kids' lives. Our kids have grown up knowing the word Sabbath, like it's a part of their language. It's a part of what they know. And that day of taking time to rest, get in a right rhythm, is significant for each one of us. Actually, it's one of the Ten Commandments. So oftentimes we'll say, oh, I followed the Ten Commandments. And you go, I don't murder, I don't steal, I don't commit adultery, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Ah, but it's a commandment. And the reason is, is because you are not a machine. You're a person made for relationship. You can't function 24-7 on your own. You need time to rest. And so I want to invite you to think, what should my life of rest look like? What are the rhythms? What, what day is my Sabbath to pray, seek God, and be rested? If it is Sunday, man, take a day. L- look at how, what kind of rhythm you could develop to actually have a break and rest and pray. Let your body rest. That is, that's, that's the idea. We work six, rest one and be with God. We, we say it at our house. We say to, to pray and play, right? We say sleep in, seek the Lord together, have some prayer time, get some good coffee, which is a part of Sabbathing well, and, or donuts. Uh, see, this is like, this is against paleo, this text. Uh, but anyway, so not really. Maybe it is. I don't know. But it's in the Bible. So, uh, but, but, but I want to encourage you to think through what it looks like for you with your, with, your, with your diet and with your rest. And here, you've got the angel of the Lord. And it's just intriguing because he takes care of the actual needs of Elijah. He's going, you've been, you've been running like crazy. Here, let me take care of you. And first he rests. And then here's the next. There's a real conversation that takes place between Elijah and and God, look at this, 1 Kings 19, 9, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Intriguing statement by Elijah to God here. Because this is actually how Elijah feels, but it's not actually true. Like in 1 Kings 18, we read that there's 100 prophets. Obadiah caring for 100 prophets. Elijah's not the only one, but Elijah feels like the only one. And in this moment, look at the response of God. He doesn't go, you idiot, Elijah. That's a false prayer. Why can't you get your facts straight? In fact, I heard some preachers that criticize this, say Elijah's whining, and I don't know. When I read it, I, 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 I don't like that. What, what, what I read is I read a man who has just been faithful to God, called down fire from heaven, and I think God can handle it when Elijah says, this is how I feel. I feel like I'm the only one. I feel like, I feel alone. The, the, where, where's the, ah! And I'm telling you, you need a place to do that. You need to rest well, then you need to pray well. You need to look at God, and God can handle your exaggerations. Like you look at God, and you go, I'm the only one who cleans around here. God, I am smarter than my pastor. God, these kids, I'm, right? You take those things to God, it's okay. 
He says, cast all your cares on him. He can handle it, right? You take it to him and God's like, all right, David, will you reject me forever? And God's like, David, come on. No, he's like, I can handle it. Tell me how you feel. Psalms of lament, all right? But if you take those very words and instead of going to prayer, you throw those on other people and you look at your spouse, I'm the only one who cleans around here. Dark day, it's gonna get darker, <laughs> right? Look at your pastor, I'm smarter than you. I'll be like, what? No, I'm just kidding. Like, you know what I'm saying? Look, with your kids, your family, and it, it, it can get bottled up. And I'm just saying, I think we look at Elijah here and I see the Lord able to handle these overstatements by Elijah and he's bringing him back to health. Here, lay down, here, eat a donut, here. Here's some water, talk to me. Let's have a conversation. Tell me what's going on. Tell me, tell me, tell me. And then God talks back. And of course, this is a great moment where his presence comes. And Hey, he's in the whisper. And all of a sudden, he encounters God again. Okay, yeah, that's who I am. Wait a minute, I'm not the person that runs in fear. All right, I'm... I'm rested, all right, I'm having a dialogue. I'm not gonna be in isolation, I'm gonna go back. And then the next moment, he goes, and God actually gives him a mission, a purpose. Go back to profiting, <laughs> go back to being the prophet I've called you to be. Step back into ministry, do the thing that I've called you to do, get your eyes off of yourself and get your eyes back on the people calling that I have on your life. Look at this, verse 15. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram, and anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from Abel Maholal, to succeed you as prophet, right? And here now you've got Elijah, and he obeys, and he goes, all right, I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna go back to doing what God has called me to do. And my eyes aren't on self. My eyes are on, I'm gonna go anoint Elisha. I'm gonna anoint these two kings. I'm, I'm, I am a prophet. This is my mission. This is my purpose. This is my calling. I'm gonna go look at some 29-year-olds and hey, yo boys, let's get with it. Like, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna help get my eyes off of self onto God and God helps me see that I've got a purpose, I've got a mission, I've got something beyond just me. Now I wanna invite you to get before God and let him minister to you. <laughs> like just let the angel of the Lord look at you and say, all right, let's rework some things. I want you to, I, I want you to, I want you to have your life set up to where you function right. I want you to have conversations with me. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you who you are. I'll, I'll, you, and I can handle the tough stuff. You can, you can pour out your heart to me. And I'm telling you, a lot of men in this room would not blow up at wives and children as much if you would just blow up at God. If you would drive in your car and shut off ESPN radio and just be like, I thought things would be different. And God's not like, you idiot. God's going, talk to me. I can handle it. I got you. I got you. But God, I thought you answered by fire. I thought everybody would see that you're a God. And I 
didn't think I'd still be have death threats from the queen. I don't think I thought. Come on, talk to me. Come on, I'm not done with you. I've got you. This isn't about you. Oh yeah, it's not about me. You with me? Yeah. You strengthen me? Yeah. All right. Some water and some donuts. All right. I got a God that I can dialogue with. And now he's brought me into his presence. He's in the whisper. And I poured out my heart to him and I experienced his presence. Whether that's on your drive to work or whether that's sitting in a Starbucks downtown or if it's on your lunch break and you pull out of the frenzy of hanging out with another coworker and just, and you say, I'm gonna get along with God today. Have that dialogue. And before too long, God goes, now let me help you discover your purpose and make a difference. Let me, let me help you. This, this life isn't just about you. I actually got, I, got, I want you to give a double portion to my boy, Elisha. I want you to invest in the next generation. I want you to lay your life down, serve the poor, help people across the world come to hear Jesus or disciple your family or something that's not about you. And you actually find greater joy and less depression when your eyes are on Jesus and his call on your life instead of all my issues, all my pain, all my struggle. And God's patient with us. He doesn't just come to Elijah and just crush him. He restores him, brings him back. And I think this is a journey we go on near daily. <laughs> okay, I've got to get along with God again. And yeah, I've got, got to get my rhythms right, but I've got to get along with God. And I'm not saying they're in this order in terms of priority, but I think all of them are visible in the text. And I'm just going to be with God. He's going to help me think straight. I'm going to tell him. Get in his presence. All right, and then for me, David, all right, I am called. I'm tempted to just get mad and frustrated and why, 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 why'd that person mock me and why'd that person blog that and why'd that person... Back on you. Okay, and then God, you're good. God, you're faithful. And what's my mission? All right, yeah, my mission, all right, called to love my bride and I'm called to make disciples of my kids. And, oh yeah, I'm called to lead a praying church that loves God and serve my city. And All right, let's make a difference in the world. And I want to tell you that's a part of your journey to get your eyes off of self. And if you'll get your eyes off of self, you'll find yourself less depressed, less sad, less about me, and more about God and his call on your life. And it's just the way it works. Then you start to find joy strength, encouragement, courage. We you bow your heads and let me pray for you? Father, I ask in Jesus' name that the weary, discouraged would find strength. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would work supernaturally. And God, I pray for the person today that's struggling with depression. I ask, Lord God, that you take them on a journey. I lift up the person who feels like this perpetual sadness and pain won't go away. I pray that you'd heal and touch them. I pray that you'd be at work in Jesus' name. Come. 
to the disappointed. Things didn't turn out quite like they had thought. They'd hoped for the incline, but it's been a roller coaster. Give them strength to endure to the end. Work supernaturally in Jesus' name. I'd like to invite you just to keep your eyes closed and heads bowed. And today, if you're here and you'd like to just say, I need, I need God in my life. I'm isolated. I'm afraid. I'm living on my own. I just want God. I haven't been living for God. I've been living for me. And I want Jesus to save me today. And I want to begin a journey of walking with God. Would you just raise your hand wherever you're at? I'd just like to pray for you. I won't bring you forward. I just want to pray for you. between you and God right there, would you just say, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I give you my life. I want your life. Give me new life. Come be at work in me. Restore me. Help me. I cross over the line of faith and give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen.